Section Zero of Don Sebastian, or The House of Braganza, An Historical Romance, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Don Sebastian, or The House of Braganza, An Historical Romance, Volume One, by Anna Maria Porter. Preface and Introduction. Preface. The name of Don Sebastian immediately recalls to every historical reader a character which youth, faults, virtues, and misfortunes have rendered highly interesting. I selected such a one for my hero from the wish of showing how sweet are the uses of adversity. If I may be so fortunate as to instruct and to amuse at the same time, the utmost of my literary ambition will be gratified. It has been my aim to keep as close to historical records as was consistent with a work wherein imagination is allowed to make up for the deficiencies of actual tradition. In some places I have been obliged to antedate an event, and to mix other motives of action with such as were avowed by the persons then acting on the great theatre of Europe. But I have scrupulously avoided slandering the illustrious dead, and am not conscious of having materially altered any well-known portrait. Some readers may be offended or wearied with the frequent use which I have made of religious tenets. To them I can only offer one apology. I had no other way of reconciling the conduct of the Catholic powers with what I have been obliged to suppose their conviction of Don Sebastian's identity when he reappeared at Venice. And, as his chief calamity was the product of a bigoted attachment to the doctrines of Rome, I could scarcely make that calamity affect the necessary revolution in his general character without changing also the nature of his religious opinions. In my delineation of countries, manners, etc., I have endeavored to give as faithful a picture as was possible to one who describes after the accounts of others. I consulted the voyages and tours of those days, so that the modern traveler, in journeying with me over Barbary, Persia, and Brazil, must recollect that he is beholding those countries as they appeared in the sixteenth century. By accident I met with an ancient work upon South America, in which was the following sentence. Twelve leagues southward from St. Salvador appears the village of Cachoeira, formerly belonging to an unknown Portuguese, who took great pains in reforming the savage people Guaymores to a civil life. This hint suggested to me the idea of making the Portuguese and my principal character the same person. I am told that there has been a novel written in French on the same story which forms the groundwork of mine, but I have not seen it. The materials with which I have worked have been drawn from general history, accounts of particular periods, the Harleian Miscellany, and a curious old tract published in 1602 containing the letters of Teixeira de Castro and others, with minute details of the conduct and sufferings of the mysterious personage concerning whom it treats. I trust the candid reader will excuse many defects of this romance when he considers how long was the space of time to be filled up with events solely imaginary, and which it was indispensable so to occupy as to unite facts and to give the whole the semblance of probability. He will reflect also how difficult it was for me to find any historical action of sufficient weight and brilliancy with which I might have earlier concluded the adventures of Sebastian. If my unpresuming work should disappoint the reader, he must suffer me to assure him that neither diligence in obtaining information and selecting circumstances, nor industry in using them, has been spared. I may fail from want of ability, but not from want of application. August, 1809 Introduction. Never has the pen of history had to record a more affecting event than that which bore the house of Braganza to another hemisphere. 
animated by a noble disdain of submitting to foreign despotism, and bravely placing his country not in the land of Portugal, but in the hearts of her people, the prince regent conquered in adversity and triumphed even at the moment of despair. Like the pious Aeneas, who snatched from the flames of Troy his father and his household gods, he hastened to save some relics of Portugal, he hastened to embark his family and their adherents on board the national fleet, to launch with them on the hitherto untried deep, and to lead them under the protection of Great Britain to found a new empire in a new world. It was on the morning of the 29th of November, 1807, that these patriot emigrants quitted the Bay of Lisbon, they looked back on their forsaken capital with emotions too strong and too complicated for description. Every individual had left behind him some aged or infirm or timid relative whom it was agony to abandon, and whom he quitted with the conviction of never seeing again. The scenes of their childhood, their vineyards, and their cities, nay, even the shores of their native lands, were never more to gladden their eyes. A solemn pause had followed the noise and distraction of their embarkation. Lisbon was motionless. Profound stillness like that silence which surrounds the deathbed of a mother rested within her walls. Every heart felt its impression. Advancing with majestic slowness down the Tagus, the Portuguese fleet crossed the bar and entered between the lines formed by the navy of England. The cannons of the two fleets answered each other. The sounds, doubled and redoubled by numerous echoes, were prolonged after the smoke had cleared away, and it discovered the ships of Portugal and Britain mingled together on the Atlantic Ocean. Having exchanged gratulation and farewell with the ambassador and the gallant admiral of the friendly squadron, the prince regent gave a last long look to Portugal, and forcibly tore himself from the deck of his vessel. In the cabin he found part of the royal family yielding themselves up to regret and anxiety. He suffered them to weep without interruption, till the moment in which lamentation made a pause. He then took the united hands of his daughter and of his nephew, the prince of Spain, and pressing them with his own, he held them with a look serious, sad, yet collected. Let us dry our tears, he said. Let us bravely submit to our fate, and bless God for having allowed us to retain that which ennobles every situation. Freedom. We go, my children, to seek a new world, to found there a new empire. It belongs to us to stamp the future character of an unborn nation. May we feel the gratitude of such responsibility. As our example shall persuade, as our authority shall impel, so will vice or virtue prevail in transatlantic Portugal. Her existence, her expansion, her dignity, her immortality depend upon her princes and nobles. Be this truth engraven on your hearts. May its awful voice resound forever in your ears, influencing your lives to the exercise of all social duties. Among the state treasures I have preserved one most precious. Tis the history of an illustrious ancestor, more unfortunate than ourselves, but for whom misfortune was a blessing. We will read this manuscript together. The style and the arrangement may offend a nice judgment, because they are the production of a humble pen, but the story itself is interesting, and the character of our ancestor may serve as an important lesson to ourselves. Compose your spirits, my dear children. Listen to me with attention. While the prince was speaking, he drew from his breast a large roll of written paper, and after such of his family, as were present, had seated themselves eagerly around him, he read in a voice, somewhat agitated by late emotion, the following narrative. End of section zero.